I want to introduce you to a word this morning. It is not a new word for you, but it might have a new meaning by the time church is done today, by the time you walk out. It is an unattractive word. It is an undesirable word. It is not a word that I see people striving after, the nature of it. It is not a word that I see people congratulating each other over whenever we possess the nature of it. As a matter of fact, it is a word that we run away from. It is a word that we don't want anything to do with. I've never seen people hand out trophies for this award, for possessing the nature of this word. I don't see people getting plaques or getting honored or getting standing ovations whenever people have the nature of this word. It carries with it, however, the key to unlocking an amazing spiritual journey. It carries with it the key to experiencing God. Every now and then I hear, and you've probably heard this, maybe you said this, you, you hear people say, I want to experience God. I want to be closer to God. I want to be face-to-face with God. I want God's blessing. I want God's hand. I want God's power upon my life. And by the way, don't we all, or you wouldn't be here in church today, right? Don't we all want God's presence and God's face and God's power in our life? And I hear people say that, but uh, the way you get that is not that desirable. But this is a word that if we grasp today, it could change your life. It really could. And here's the word, the word desperation. Would you say it with me? Desperation. No one is signing up this week for a class at a local college on how to get more desperate. No one is desiring this. Whenever you look at that word, you go, oh, because whenever you were in high school and you were trying to ask out that girl or that boy, your friends told you, don't act too desperate. Or whenever you're in a job interview, people will don't act too desperate whenever you're in that job interview. We do whatever we can to run away from desperation. And yet what I've learned in my life and what we learn in Scripture, and my guess is what you've learned in your life is that desperation is actually a key to unlocking one of the great spiritual mysteries of experiencing God. Desperation. And here's what I've learned. God is drawn to the desperate. Have you noticed that in your Bibles? God is drawn to the desperate. Desperation isn't an easy place to get. It's not a fun place to be, and once we're there, we try to get out of it as quickly as we can. But God is drawn to the desperate. He's not drawn to the strong. He's not drawn to those who buff up and say, I am quite amazing. I don't need anybody else's help. No, he's actually drawn to the opposite. He is drawn to people who get down on their knees, who get down on their face, and they say, I am desperate for you. He is drawn to the desperate. We could study 1 Samuel chapter 1 today. We could study about Hannah, who was barren, who didn't have any, any children. And one of her best friends, she could have children, and she was making fun of Hannah for not having a best friend, not quite a best friend there. But it was all around her, everybody else having children, but she couldn't. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she fell down on her face in desperation and pleaded to God, would you bear me with a child? And in desperation, Hannah met God in a way she never had before. We could talk about Naaman, who had leprosy. There was no cure for leprosy. 2 Kings chapter 5, what does he do? He goes to his enemy's territory. He goes to Israel. He was from another country. He goes there. He hears about a prophet. He said, can you, he- can you heal me? That's desperation, whatever it takes, and he met God. We could talk about Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10. We probably will in the coming months eventually. He's blind, he's on the side of the road, and he falls down before Jesus in desperation, and he meets Jesus in a way he never would have otherwise. We could talk about Jacob. 
You remember Jacob wrestled with God? Why did Jacob wrestle with God? Because he had his brother Esau in front of him with 400 men about to attack. He had Laban behind him who was mad at him. He's in the middle. What do I do? I'm desperate. And he wrestles with God and meets God in a way he never did before. And he actually says, I came face to face with God. We could talk about David. Did you know that most of your Psalms was written out of desperation in a desperate moment? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where did that come from? Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Where did that come from? When Saul was chasing David and he's going from cave to cave and he was desperate. We could talk about that little formula that I have learned to be true is this in our life. Desperation leads to humility. Humility leads to repentance or surrender, and that leads to God's blessing or God's power. But it starts with desperation. Well, I want to experience God. Well, it starts right there, which leads to humility, which leads to repentance, which leads to God's blessing. Actually, every story that we just went through was that path right there. It started with desperation, led to humility, went to repentance, and went to God's blessing. Have you ever noticed that desperation changes how you pray? It changes how you read your Bible. It changes how you live your faith. It changes how you experience church. You don't come to church to, to, to evaluate the song service or evaluate the preacher's sermon. Hey, preacher, not, not bad. I've heard better, but that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. That, that, no, no, no. That's not how, that's not how you come. Whenever you're desperate, you, you just want him. You know what I'm talking about? You just want him. You're going to grab whatever that is good. You're going to put aside the bad. You're going to put, a, you're, you're going to put aside the wrong note, not that everything's a bad note or, or a wrong key or a, the bad sermon. Surely there's something good in the sermon. Whenever you're desperate, you're not in critique mode. You're not in, well, they didn't, that joke didn't make me laugh. And if my jokes don't make you laugh, there's something wrong with you, not me. Thank you for laughing at that. <clears throat> Have you ever been desperate? It changes how you pray. Seven years ago, my wife got pregnant for the first time, and we were on cloud nine. And, uh, and I remember she, she said, I wish I could have videoed your reaction, Nathan, when I told you that I was pregnant. I guess it was a pretty goofy, weird reaction. I wish I could have videoed that and had that for all time. And so we were excited for, for a couple months, and, and I remember sitting at the dining room table. We were playing cards, probably gin rummy, before kids. That's when we did stuff like that and, and played cards. And I remember she went uh, to, the, to the bathroom, and I remember when she came out, I remember the look on her face, and I already knew just by the look on her face, uh, this isn't good. And she told me what was happening to her body, uh, what, she, what just happened in the bathroom, and I said, call the doctor. And so we called the doctor. Oh, it's past, it's past hours. Nobody answered, uh, which didn't make me very happy. And then I said, well, we'll, I'll call first thing in the morning. We call first thing in the morning, and the doctor, well, I'm busy. I can probably get you in in about 10 days to look at you. There wasn't a whole lot of urgency there, and I was thinking, you're going to need a doctor. That doctor's going to need a doctor when I'm done with that doctor. <laughs> And I remember for the next 10, uh, 10 days waiting, waiting to go to the doctor's office. And uh, I'll just tell you, nothing else mattered. 
Now, I still wrote a sermon for that week, and I went up and preached a sermon, and it didn't really matter all that much. And I can just tell you, I, I, I did my week's work, and I sat there, but I, I can just tell you this. That verse that says, pray without ceasing, and, and we always say, that's not possible. And I learned in those 10 days, it's possible to pray without ceasing. It was always on my mind. I was always talking to the Lord. We were always in conversation. When I got off by myself in private, and, I, and every now and then I'd just walk out of the house, say, Chelsea, I need to go out in the driveway, and I would just talk to God. I just want to tell you, it, 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 it had never been more real, me and him. Now, if you've ever read a prayer book and they give you an outline of prayer, I'll just tell you, I didn't follow any outline. It wasn't Paulist prayers. They weren't the right King James words, thou shalt and theeth and thou with and thee and that. It was real, and it was from the heart, and I was pleading, and I was humble, and I needed him. I needed him. And I'll just, I'll just tell you, whenever you're desperate, it changes the way you pray. It changes the way you pray. And the story didn't even end up good. Ten days later, we go to the doctors as we lost the baby. And so the, the, the end of that story wasn't even good, but I'll tell you this. In those ten days, I met God in a way that I had never met him before. Desperation is not always a bad thing. It can be a good thing. You want to experience God, get on your face and get desperate for him. Hard place to get, hard place to stay, but there's a gift in desperation. And so in our passage today, in Mark chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 21. We come across two people who are desperate. Let's read these together. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Humility, desperation. You don't walk up to Jesus with your shoulders back and chest out when you're all strong in yourself. Jairus walks up to him and falls on his feet before him. He pleaded earnestly with him. That's desperation. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Just a little context here at the beginning. It said there was a large crowd. A large crowd in the original language means a large group of unidentified people. If you were there, you might have known a few people, but most people you wouldn't have known. A large crowd of, un of unidentified people, but the entire crowd would have known one person, and that was Jairus. He was the synagogue leader. The synagogue leader was more than just the preacher of a church. Back then, the synagogue was a place where activities went on all week long. Uh, the local YMCA, the local women's club, the local whatever, they all met at the synagogue every day. He would have been kind of like the mayor of the town. I wish, I, I wish preachers were like the mayor of the town. That'd be a blast. But everybody would have known Jairus. And Jairus would have been the type of guy that you go to for help. He doesn't need help. You go to him for help. And the synagogue leaders at that time were not too happy about Jesus. They weren't believing in Jesus. They were criticizing Jesus. He was messing up the status quo. They were against Jesus. And here's Jairus, and he has an image to keep that he's worked hard to develop. He is strong. He is powerful. You go to him for help. You go to him for advice. And what does he do in front of the entire town, in, in, in front of the entire crowd? He falls on his feet to Jesus, the one they've been criticizing, and he says, I need your help. He all of a sudden didn't care about his image or his reputation that he had built or his strength. And in that moment of humility, in that moment of desperation, he met Jesus. Why did he do that? Well, because being a father trumps your image, doesn't it? A little girl's dying. 
Being a father trumps your reputation. Luke tells us in this same story, Luke tells us it was his only daughter. The word used in the Greek there implies it might have been his only child at all. I have a daughter. I have one. Her name is Olivia. If you have one, you're like me. You would do whatever it takes for your daughter. You would lay down your life for your daughter. Amen? And so he has an image in this town, and everybody knows Jairus, and you're supposed to be against Jesus. And all of a sudden, if your daughter's dying, you go to the one who can help. And in his desperation, he humbles himself. He surrenders himself on his knees, and he ends up receiving a blessing through his desperation. Amazing. By the way, my daughter, who I adore, and I chase after her heart every day, and she likes to play hard to get, and it's just so frustrating. I call her my princess, and so she has recently started calling me her king. And I'm trying to get my wife to call me the same thing, but it's just not working out. <laughs> Onward with the text, verse 24. So Jesus went with him. There's a large crowd. Who did Jesus go with? The one who's desperate. Large crowd, he goes with the one who's desperate. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. They just wanted to see what would happen. This little girl, she didn't have days to live. She has hours to live. She maybe has minutes to live. What's going to happen? By the way, you would have followed as well. I would have followed as well. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And now we have somebody else who's desperate. Why? Because she's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't know what she has. It could have been a tumor. We don't know what she's dealing with. But she went to every doctor in town. They couldn't heal her. She spent all of her life savings. Now she's broke. And it actually says she wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. Luke shares this same story, but Luke was a doctor, and he interestingly left out the sentence that the doctors couldn't help her. Just find that fascinating that Luke would leave that out. But she's desperate. Now, if I was the father, I just got to tell you, if I was the father, I would be mad right now. If I was Jairus, my little daughter is dying. I came to you, Jesus, and this, this woman is interrupting my healing time. Hey, Jesus, I'm good with you healing this lady who's been bleeding for 12 years, but she can bleed for 12 years in one day. You can get to her tomorrow. My little girl is suffering. I'm just, that doesn't sound nice. I'm just telling you what I would be thinking if it was my girl. I need you there. But here she is. She falls on her feet. And by the way, this would have been a death sentence for this lady. To be bleeding like this meant in that society you were unclean. To be unclean meant you couldn't go in the synagogue. You couldn't go to church. You weren't allowed to be there. You wouldn't have married a man. No man would have wanted anything to do with her. She was in poverty. She, didn't, she probably didn't have any friends. Whenever she came into town, she had to announce to the town she was unclean. Everybody would have parted like the Red Sea because you don't come around somebody who's unclean. She would have had no social status. She would have had no friends. She probably by this time would have had no family for 12 years. Can you imagine... 
Can you imagine battling something for 12 years? The same thing for 12 years. Now, if you look back over your last 12 years, I bet you battled some issues, plural, but imagine battling the same issue for 12 years. Wow. And she's desperate, and she experiences God in her desperation. And then it goes on to say in verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Just want to point something out biblically right here. Can you see the opposites in the man and the woman? Jairus and this lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. He's a man. She's a woman. He's wealthy. She has no money. He has all the social standing you could ever ask for. She has none. He's prominent in town. She's the opposite. She's not prominent. Everything's the opposite, and yet Jesus stops for her. Jesus doesn't play favorites. Man's economy is not God's economy. The way we look at the importance of people is not the way Jesus looked at the importance of people. And Jairus may have been thinking, everybody may have been thinking, Jairus is more important than this lady. She's, I mean, she, she's a nobody. She's not even allowed in town. How'd she get in here? How'd you let her in here? And Jesus stops for that lady. There is nobody in this room more important to Jesus than you are. And there is nobody in this room less important to Jesus than you are. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. You believe that, church? You believe that? I love that truth in this passage. And then, and then he goes on in the story. Mark says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your, your daughter is dead. And if I was the dad now, and you stop for that lady, and my daughter dies, I got here in time, but you had to stop and hear her story. If you read the text, it says he stopped for the story. Did it let her tell the story? Ho, 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 ho. And then they said, why bother, to, why bother the teacher anymore? By the way, that's a no faith statement is what that was right there. Why bother? You notice those first two words? Why bother? Why bother? Have you ever been around why bother people? Why bother messing with it now? The marriage is too far gone. Why bother? Why bother going to counseling? Why bother getting help? Why bother? The, the finances are too much in the hole. I don't need budget counseling. Why bother? I've been inviting him to church for years. Why bother anymore? No reason to keep it. I've been praying for her for You know what? Why bother? The relationship has been strained for too long. I've gone. I've tried. I've prayed. I've communicated. I've shared. I've said, uh, why bother? It's not going to get fixed. Have you ever been around why bother people? Let me just give you a little bit of a hint. Jesus loved why bother people, but Jesus is about to separate himself from the why bother people. Sometimes you can only take so much of pessimism. Why bother? Well, to, to their defense, I will say this. At this point, Jesus had never raised somebody from the dead. He had been the type to show the power of calming the storm and healing people, but he had never shown that he could raise somebody from the dead. So once she died, you, you can imagine them saying, why bother? But that's a no-faith statement. And then it goes on to say, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Now, what's the next two words? And I can't help but think, 
that Jesus wasn't just looking at Jairus. Is that a song? I was about to dance. He wasn't just looking at Jairus. He was looking beyond Jairus. And he was looking to the people behind him. Hey, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. Where's your faith? You guys come with me. This, the story isn't over yet. How many of you know, this, if you have Jesus on your side, the story's never over. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, why bother? She's dead now. Goes on to say, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Arestia, you're out now. I've had enough. I love you. You're not going to get to see this. You are the why bother crowd. You are the no faith crowd. Peter, James, John. Actually, the, the other nine disciples, you're out of this too. I could read your heart. You guys, come on in. Jairus, come on in. Mother didn't say, but probably the family, come on in. Luke actually says, Jesus kicked the rest of them away, out. You're not in, you're not in this now. If you're going to bring that kind of spirit, if you're going to bring that kind of negativity into the situation, you're out. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And interestingly, from here on out to the rest of the New Testament, New Testament writers rarely call death, death. They call it asleep. In 1 Thessalonians, what happens when we fall asleep? We meet the Lord. And he starts using the term sleep for death. Because with Jesus, the way he, the way he dealt with death and the way he confronted death, it's, it's really just sleep. It's not done. It's, it's not dead. The child is not dead but asleep. But verse 40, they laughed at Jesus. A little bit of advice don't laugh at Jesus. If you don't get anything else today, just remember, don't laugh at Jesus. You can laugh with Jesus if he tells a joke. Don't laugh at Jesus when he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And after he put them out, and the word usage there is the same word usage that he uses for demons to get demons out of people. He yells at the demons and rebukes them to get them out of somebody's spirit. He uses the same words here, everybody out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Next word, Mark's favorite word, immediately. The girl stood up and began to walk around. She was, how old was she? She was born about the same time this lady began her bleeding. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And, okay, the girl wakes up. Question, who's the first person the girl sees? Wasn't her mom. Wasn't her dad. No offense to mom and dad. The first person she lays her eyes on is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Supposed to be a serious moment. I heard the toilet flush. What can I do? Okay. <laughs> Jesus is so much better than me. He, he can, he, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's close this sermon. Um, first person she sees is Jesus. Now, now here's the deal. 
for everybody who has put their trust and faith in Jesus, there's gonna come a day that you're gonna die, but the second you die, you're gonna breathe your first in the presence of who? The first person you see when you get to heaven, no offense, is not your mom and dad. It's not your friends, it's not your brothers and sisters, it's not your sons and daughters. The first person that we're gonna see when we get to heaven, the first voice that we're gonna hear, the first arm that's gonna go around our shoulder is Jesus. Don't get me wrong, there's gonna be a family reunion, there's gonna be a family party, there's gonna be some barbecue. I b- Believe me, there's gonna be some barbecue in heaven. But the first person that we experience and come face to face with is Jesus Christ and I can't wait. That's who we're after, that's who we're desperate for, the first person she sees is Jesus. And then the last verse, he gave strict orders. This is weird. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Don't tell anybody. Now, I thought when God does something good, we're supposed to tell everybody. Why did Jesus tell this group, don't tell anybody? What's up with that? I don't know. I've studied the passage. I've read different commentators. Nobody agrees. Most commentators, they write it in a way that they act like they know. They don't know. <laughs> I can tell the way they're writing. They don't know. Why did Jesus tell them not to tell anybody? I got an idea. I'm not telling you I'm right, but here's my idea. It's just conjecture. I'm just telling you. This may not be. I'm just telling you my idea. What if Jesus was just doing this for them? He wasn't doing it for the attention. He wasn't doing it to make a point. This wasn't a let everybody learn this point about me, how powerful I am. What if Jesus every now and then just comes along a family and says, hey, this is just for you and for you alone. He's powerful enough to heal with one word and yet personal enough to give someone just a personal family gift. This isn't for the crowds. This isn't for attention. This isn't to make a point. I'm just doing this for you guys. This is my gift to you. Let's go back to our word, one word, desperation. It's easier to be strong, isn't it? It's easier to act like you have it all together. It's easier to act like the family's okay. Hey, how's your family doing? Good, we're good. It's more humbling to say, we're struggling. It's easier to say, hey, how are you doing with that sin you've been, I'm I'm fine, I'm fine, it's good, I'm good. It's more humbling to say, I need help. It's easier to ignore the relational rift. It's more humbling to go face to face. Some people would rather drown than admit they can't swim. You ever seen that? Some people would rather drown than admit they can't swim. Kyle Eidelman, when he preached this text, he gave this question, and I liked it. He said, when will your level of desperation override your pride? Some would rather be crushed under the weight than admit they need a spotter. Some would rather say, I have it all together than say they need a savior and get down on their knees, desperate for him. Every now and then, I get to talk to a kid about becoming a Christian. And a lot of parents, the the most common asked question is, when is my kid ready to give their life to Jesus? That's a common question. That's a good question, by the way. So just so you know, This is what I look for. It is possible for a child to go through children's church, to go through church, to go through VBSs, to learn in your home all the right answers on paper and to be able to fill in all the blanks and know that Jesus died for me. And by the way, I knew that Jesus died for me at like three years old. 
I lived in a, I grew up in a preacher's home. I knew that. I knew right, I, I, I knew all the right answers about the cross. I knew there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus, but let me just tell you, it wasn't until I humbled myself, got on my knees, uh, on my knees, was in tears, knew I was a sinner in need of a savior and was desperate for him, then my parents stepped in and said, he's ready. Because what precedes salvation is repentance. And the only way to come to repentance is through humility. And the only way to get through humility, there's the order, is desperation. And so I've sat down with kids who knew all the right answers, but whenever I ask them, hey, hey, uh, when do you want to do this? And they just, "Ah, whenever. Wait a minute. When you're desperate, you can't wait to give your life to Jesus. Amen? There isn't anybody in the world who can hold you back. When you're desperate for him and humble for him and repentant for him, and maybe you've seen some situations where maybe it's a national scandal or there's some uh, high-profile marriage that's on the rocks and, and you sit there and you're reading or watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians because they're, they're always the one that's in shambles. And I, don't, I don't know why I just said that, but you're watching the situation and you sit there and say, why don't they just repent? Why didn't he say he's sorry Confess your sins, confess your guilt. It's all she's going to forget. If you just admit you're in the wrong, why don't you just do that? Why doesn't he just repent? Well, there's, there's a problem. It's, repentance isn't that easy because what comes before repentance is humility. Oh, is showing that you need help, is showing that I can't do it on my own, and that's not easy to come to, is it? And here, here's what I've learned, and I don't like this. If I'm not going to get there myself, God will get me there. God's going to get me on my knees. If I'm not willing to get on my knees, he'll get me on my knees. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to go have you feed like cattle in the, in the grass if you're not going to admit I'm the one true God. If I, if I won't get desperate today, wait for it. God will get you desperate. He will do whatever it takes to draw you to him. All right, here's the sermon. Desperate for desperate's sake means nothing. Listen, the direction of your desperation determines your destiny. The direction of your desperation determines your destiny. Would you say that with me? The direction of your desperation determines your destiny. If you're just desperate and you go throw the direction of your desperation toward vengeance, it's not going to help you. If you're going to take your desperation and throw it to isolation, I'll just go and be by myself, that's not going to help you. If you take your desperation and and throw it into some hobby, that's not going to help you. But if you take your desperation and do what Jairus did and do what the lady who was bleeding for 12 years did, where did they take their desperation? To the feet of Jesus. The direction of your desperation determines your destiny. It determines if you're going to experience God. It determines if you're going to have God's power in your life and if you're going to have God's blessing and God's hand on your life. If you take your desperation and go to Jesus, there's a blessing to be had. My question today, are you desperate for him? Just for him. I'm not asking are you desperate for the blessing. I'm asking are you desperate for the blesser? 
Are you desperate for him? Paul says, I want to know nothing else but Christ and Christ crucified. David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after him. Here's the kind of church I want. Just what, what, what kind of church you want, Nathan? Here it is right here. The kind of church I want is a church that is not desperate for programs, a church that is not desperate for land and a building, a church that is not desperate for church growth or to be on some big magazine and look how they grew. I want a church that is desperate for Jesus Christ. How amazing would that be? Desperate for him. So we usually seal the sermon with a prayer, and that's a good thing. But we're going to seal the sermon today with a passage of Scripture and a song. Would you stand with me? We're going we're to read this out loud together, and I want you to sense the desperation in Habakkuk. We put it on the screen because I know you don't know where Habakkuk is in your Bible. <laughs> I don't either. That's why it's... But Google did, and that's where I found this. Habakkuk chapter 3 Verse 17 and 18, now listen carefully. You're going to sense desperation. You're going to sense humility. This is good stuff, and this is how we're, how we're going to seal our message today. Habakkuk 3, let's read it together. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What did he just say? What did he just say? It doesn't matter if I have food on the table or if I don't have any food in the pantry. Praise Jesus. It doesn't matter if I have sheep in the pen or no sheep in the pen. Praise Jesus. It doesn't matter if my bank account is full or I have nothing in the bank account. Praise Jesus. It doesn't matter if I have friends or if I'm lonely. Praise Jesus. It doesn't matter if I, if I have a great reputation or if I have a terrible reputation. Praise Jesus. This sounds like an unconditional relationship with Jesus Christ. No conditions. I just want you. Whatever life throws at me, whatever Satan throws at me, whatever this world throws at me, praise Jesus. I'm going to rejoice. Rejoice in God, my Savior. Put your hands together if you want that today. Desperate for him. Let's sing this together.